Hello and welcome to the BCA LCA Bible study, Holy Holy. This week we will continue to look at what personal holiness looks like for people as we unpack and hopefully deconstruct the misunderstanding surrounding the rigor and strict laws people often associate with holiness. Holiness and Christian life at large is often criticized as restraining. And while, yes, Christianity is by nature exclusive, it is by no means limiting for how people live. The invitation that God places in each of our lives when he says, be holy as I am holy, is a call to the glorious true life he designed for us when he spoke the world into being. Being holy is not surrendering our life. It is stepping into true life. Now, let's dive in. First century Israel had a problem. God hadn't spoken to his covenant people in over 400 years. He'd left them with the promise of a coming Messiah. He'd said to David that his offspring would always sit on the throne. There would be an eternal kingdom. And he said he would always be their God. But a quick look at the situation would lead them to suspect that this might not be the case. Babylon, Persia, Macedonia, and now Rome were just a few from the laundry list of nations and groups that had controlled part of, if not all, of the region that now made up Judah. When the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, most of the people were carried away, and the history of ten of Israel's twelve tribes were lost. Children would be raised hearing stories of the coming Messiah. A prophet like Moses is how Deuteronomy spoke of this person. He would deliver the people of Israel, and yet, where was he? Had God forgotten his people? Every day it seemed more and more likely that this was the case. Pessimism and hopelessness began to set into the minds of the Israelites. And it was out of this pessimism that the Pharisees and religious leaders came forward with a solution to where the Messiah was. The Messiah is waiting, you see. He is waiting for each and every one of us to get our hearts right and to follow the law. They believed that if even for just a microsecond, every person was perfectly following God's laws, the Messiah would come to their rescue. And fortunately for the Israelites, God gave them a clear law with expectations and directions for how they could perfectly follow that law. Unfortunately, this belief put the personal responsibility of obedience in God's covenant solely on the people, stripping away the forgiveness found in God's grace. Fear began to creep in. How can we make sure we are perfectly following these laws? What if I break one accidentally? The solution to this problem was to add extra steps to the laws that God gave them. For example, when Exodus 23:19 says, You shall not boil a calf in its mother's milk, they needed assurance that no calf would ever be served with a dairy product from its mom. This concern was so dominating that they would eventually claim it is sinful to serve any meat product with any dairy product. You can't get a cheeseburger in McDonald's for this exact reason. And if you happen to find yourself in a hotel in Israel on the Sabbath, there will be an elevator program to stop on every floor. The logic being that because Exodus 35.3 forbids making a fire on the Sabbath and pressing the button to call the elevator makes a spark between two copper wires, which is technically a fire, you can avoid this if you never have to push the button. So it just goes up, stopping on every floor avoids the issue completely. 
you just have to pray that your room isn't on the 15th floor. When God gave the Israelites the law, it was with the hope that it would allow them to live the full life he had always designed for them to live. And when they failed to do that, his grace would step in and make everything right again. The religious leaders and the Pharisees missed that, however. For them, it was the law or nothing, and the rigor that they placed around it turned God's law into a straitjacket, something that it kept them trapped and bound, something that keeps us from living life to its fullest. God said, be holy like I am, but all of a sudden, holiness had become a pit. Obviously, this couldn't be further from the truth. During his time on earth, Jesus had numerous run-ins with the Pharisees who accused him of breaking the law. They misunderstood the law and the call to be holy in the same way that I think a lot of people do today. While there are numerous stories that highlight Jesus' grace-filled reconstruction of the law in conflict with the Pharisaic commitment to rigor and constraint, two come to mind that highlight the issue well. In Mark 2, Jesus and the disciples are walking through a field, and several of them gather heads of grain to eat from the corners, a law established in Leviticus 19. The Pharisees accuse them of working on the Sabbath, and Jesus responds by saying, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and explains how David did something similar in 1 Samuel 21. This was a call for the Pharisees to recognize how human need is greater than a religious ritual. Hosea 6.6 declares that God wants mercy, not sacrifice. Isaiah 58 reveals that God is more concerned with the love of others. And Psalm 51.17 declares, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God is not concerned about religious traditions and strict adherence to the law nearly as much as he is concerned about being merciful, gracious, and loving. Our second story comes from Mark 3. Jesus is preaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and a man comes forward and asks to be healed. To heal this man would be considered working on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds with a poignant question. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? The problem here being that the Pharisees were so obsessed with the law that it blinded them to Jesus' summary of the covenant. Love God and love your neighbors. How could you claim to love your neighbors if you allowed him to continue to suffer? Obviously, the mentality that holiness means rigorous, joyless pursuit of the law has been around for as long as there have been people around to misunderstand what God has to say. God calls us to be holy because it is the best, most joyous, and most freeing way to live. He gives us rules, yes. They can limit how we live, yes. But true holiness is life the way it was always meant to be. Growing up, the rule in my house that frustrated me the most was looking both ways before I crossed the street. I don't really know why that one in particular frustrated me so much or why I struggled to obey it, but I hated it. And I think it probably had something to do with me being just an energetic kid who lived in his own bubble. Obviously, though, my father made that rule to protect me. He understood the best way for me to live was not getting hit by a car and set up rules to do just that. The same is true for God, even though I think we sometimes talk about God's rules like the exact opposite. Yes, in a sense, following the rules my father, earthly or heavenly, laid out for me 
means that I'm giving up a degree of personal freedom to pursue life. But in doing so, I find myself existing within the right kinds of restraints, living the way I was meant to all along. Immanuel Kant defines a freed person as one who trusts in his or her own power of thinking, rather than in authority or tradition. This is, of course, an insufficient definition of freedom because it only really defines freedom in negative terms. Tim Keller responds to this by saying, confinement and constraint is actually a means to liberation. God calls us to holiness, a rigorous life existing within the parameters of God's laws, but it's one that brings freedom. Think about a fish. A fish absorbs its oxygen from the water. No one would ever take a fish out of water and say, I've set you free. The fish would die. In the same way, existing within the standards God calls us to is the best way to live. It's the only way to truly live. God gave us laws and rules and said, this is part of what holiness looks like. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, summarized the whole of the law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the way we were designed to live, and love is the way holiness calls us to live. It is not oppressive. It is not binding. It is a call to be who God always wanted you to be, a holy, loving, and free person released from the bondage of sin by the glory of the gospel. When we accept the call to be holy, we are not declaring that the life we want to live is coming to an end. Just the opposite. We are saying the life we were meant to live is finally beginning.